And today, this afternoon, we will be having our last session about the church mission statement. We're going to be talking about the last um, phrase in this statement. I will read this mission statement, and then we will deal with this last portion. Our church mission statement says, We exist to magnify Jesus Christ by proclaiming and displaying His redeeming grace to each other and to our local and surrounding communities. Through Christ's sacrifice, His mercy has triumphed over judgment, and we live to savor and spread this truth. And today we'll be talking about, we live to savor and spread this truth. What is it to savor something? When you hear, man, I, I savor that, or that's savory. What are you, what are, sit and enjoy it. You sit and enjoy it. When you're enjoying a savory meal, it's a meal, it's not a meal that you want to spit out or replace. It's something that you're actually enjoying. And you could sit slow, here, you, you eat slow, maybe you get seconds, thirds, fourths. <laughs> and you, um, and uh, we just enjoy that. We appreciate it. We love it. We just delight in it. And this is something that we are supposed to be doing as believers with this great gospel that God has entrusted us with. We talk a lot about how we need to be spreading it and telling everybody else, but you can sometimes tell the people who jump the gun when they're trying to share the gospel. Because they're, they're saying the facts, they're saying the verses, but you can tell that it's just learning. It's just knowledge. It's not something that they have really sat and savored and loved and really, and I'll be honest with you, it's the younger generation that really tends to have a problem with that because we're all about being smart, about being wise, when really we're not wise until we've gone through it for some decades. And they're in such a hurry, they don't take time to save yeah. or anything. Right, we don't want to save her. We want to all experience this, I'll move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. But we need to learn the art of savoring God's truth, savoring living it. And that's why I like it. Sometimes for most of us, it takes decades so that we can look back and see, man, God has been there the whole time, even though I may have felt like I was in trouble. I might have felt hopeless. I might have felt this way, but God was there the whole time. And you really start to see it. You really, you really start to let these truths soak in because now you can look back and see how good God has been to you. But we are supposed to be making it part of our lives of not just knowing the truth, not just having head knowledge, not just having learning, but savoring what we know, savoring the truth, sitting on it, dwelling on it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. And that man is going to be like the tree that is planted by the rivers whose fruit will be brought forth in its season. Its le- his leaves won't wither. It's the person who meditates. That's, a, that's another word we could talk, use uh, for savoring. Just letting it soak in. Just mulling it over. Not going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And, and frankly, in Bible college, I think one of the downsides of Bible college is it kind of doesn't allow for a whole lot of savoring because you have so many classes and so much learning to do and so many papers to write, so many tests to study for, so many quizzes to study for, so many ministry opportunities you have to be involved in, so much you have to do. You have to, you, so they kind of train you to go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. We have to fight that 
in whatever situation you were in. Sit. Savor the truth. Go for seconds. Go for thirds. Eat it over and over and over and over. Because you can really tell the people who love the truth. When you're talking about it, when you're talking together, when you see them just living life, when you see them, you know, perhaps teach or just share or whatever it is, you can tell the people who really love the truth. They digest it too. Because they've digested it. They actually have something to say. <laughs> you know, if you just know the, the fact, like I, like with history, I loved history, but at this point in my life, I don't remember a ton of detail. So if you were to ask me, you know, describe, tell me everything you know about the Civil War. And I could t- talk to you about it for five minutes probably. Not that I didn't lear- learn a lot about the Civil War, but it was just head knowledge and I didn't really love it. I didn't really cherish it and I haven't made it a regular part of my life to learn about the Civil War. But you talk to a Civil War buff and, buff and they could just go on and on and on for hours and hours talking about this and that about the Civil War. Because they've really savored it. They've really taken it in. They've really loved it. They've really cherished it. It made it part of their li- livelihood to love the Civil War. And they could, you ask them a question and you're going to get a full answer. <laughs> you ask me a question about the Battle of Gettysburg and you're going to get this a, a horrible answer that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> you don't even know the address. Yeah, I don't even know. You're right. <laughs> I remember that from when I was in high school. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I might go watch the movie to refresh myself, but that's still not... <laughs> if I recite the movie to you, that's still not the same as being a Civil War buff. <laughs> Um, but anyway, you can tell the people who really love the truth of God. Because you start talking with them about God, you start talking with them about the scriptures, and man, they love it. They have something to say because it's part of them. It's part of who they are. It's not just knowledge. It's not just something they learned about and have been learning about. And frankly, we should all, at some point, be at a point where we have something to say about Christ and His Word. I mean, how many years have we been going to church learning. How many, how many years have we had the opportunity to savor, to chew on it, to make it part of ourselves? I mean, that's what, that's what David was really saying when he says, thy word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Memorization verses don't, get, don't rid you of sin. He's not talking about memorization verses. He's talking about making it part of you. He's hidden it in his heart. He's not just Put it in his, stuck it in his brain. Sometimes it can be helpful to have those memory verses. But when he's saying, your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you, it's because he loves the law of God. He cherishes the law of God. He doesn't want to break the law of God because it's, it's who he is. He's no longer the sin. He is now part, that, that law of God is part of him. It's what he has cherished. It's what he has savored. And this is who we need to be in response to this truth that we're supposed to be being a light for the community with. First, first, we savor it ourselves. We love it ourselves. Because you know what the outsiders, they can tell when you're just trying to win an argument. When you're just trying to try to get them to believe what you believe. Well, why do you want me to believe this? Oh, because I don't want you to go to hell. Do you really not want me to go to hell or are you just saying something you learned to say? People can tell. People can also tell when you really love them and when you really believe what you're saying. People can tell. You know, just like a baby, 
You know, there's something within humanity that can just tell sincerity in, in a genuine nature. Like a baby can tell if you're really happy with them or if you're just trying to hide it. Or like a small child like Lexi. Sometimes Lexi, you know, she'll, just, she'll come up to me and ask, Dad, you mad? <laughs> you know, and I wasn't really, I wasn't yelling, I wasn't shouting, I wasn't doing anything super angrily. But she can sense that I wasn't happy. So she would come up to me and say, are you mad? <laughs> you happy with me? <laughs> it's like, yes, I'm happy with you. <laughs> um, okay. But the, you can just, people can also sense if you're being sincere or not with them. And I'm not trying to give you a way to manipulate sincerity. I'm trying to show you how important it is to cherish, to savor the truth of God. Look at Titus chapter 3. And if there's nothing, if we want to cherish something, let's cherish this. Titus 3, verse 2. Speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Okay, so what gives us humility? What's the foundation of this humility that we're supposed to be sharing with people. Verse 3, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you want to cherish something? Take this and write this on your walls. Because you used to be such a person in verse 3. You used to be deprived of righteousness. But in love... God our Savior came to us in love and kindness. Look at that. God loved you, and He's been kind to you. According to His mercy, mercy to this person in verse 3, the mercy to the one who is foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. We don't want to give mercy to those people. If we have a person in our life that's like this, actively like this to us, we don't want to be nice to that person. <laughs> we, don't, we have a hard time loving a person like that. But then he says, to that, but to that person, the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared. And he saved us because of his mercy. And he says us. He's saying us. And this is where we must be poor in spirit and receive the fact that we are included in this person who had only mercy to rely on. We could not rely on an earned kindness. We could make no case. So if you want to go out and spread the truth of God to the world, first have the humility that we're showing to all men, regardless of their persuasion in any manner of life have in humility approaching them because we know what it's like 
we know what it's like to be lost. Because we have savored this fact that I was lost, Jesus found me. And if that is not savory, then we need to sit and savor. We need to sit and learn from the heart of Christ who came in love and kindness to us. Because he cherishes you and me. And savor that. Because if you can't savor this, then we're not really going to be that effective out there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. You can turn there if you'd like. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. So this is one of the ways that we practice what we have savored. We savor the fact that I didn't make up for my mistakes. I didn't override my sin with some greater act of kindness. But rather, having savored the gift that I've received from God, from His mercy, now I can go out and not just tell people the facts about salvation, but actually show them. Because they're part of me. Now I get to go and forgive people relentlessly because I have savored the forgiveness that I have in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that you can have a heart of forgiveness is if you have the heart of Christ who forgives to the uttermost, who saves to the uttermost. You cannot have a forgiving spirit like Jesus has unless you have received it from savoring Jesus Christ. So in spreading the truth, we are living out the truth. We're not just telling people the facts. We are spreading it like butter on bread, uniting it with that, uniting the two, because we are going out, not just talking about forgiveness, but actually forgiving with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Spreading what we have received from God. Because if we haven't received anything from God, then we have nothing to spread. And in this society, we know how interpersonal relationships work. You know how surprised somebody is when you just forgive them, even though they have offended you greatly. That's why Paul talks about it as dumping hot coals on a person's head, showing them kindness and mercy. Because they just, why would you do that? Why would you be kind to me when I have been so cruel to you? Because that that doesn't compute with the mind of the flesh. But we have the mind of Christ. We have savored, we have received of him, we have had a changed heart, and now we're spreading that. We're spreading the message, yes. Don't get me wrong. How can they know unless we tell them the truth? But why in the world would they receive the truth just because we tell them it's the truth? We must couple the message with actually living out what we're telling them is true. How are they going to believe that God can forgive them for their sins if, we, if we're never going to forgive them? If they offend us and you forgive them, now that's an open door for the gospel. Because they've seen it in you. They've seen that the truth has made done a power in you. Now you can actually spread it. Verse six, Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. 
This is another way that we are spreading the truth. Because you have received mercy, you have savored it. Now, if you have truly savored it, you will go out and be merciful. You will show mercy to people. You will give when they have nothing to give back. You will give before they've even known that you're there. <laughs> you're giving. That's why, the, that's why the Bible says that true religion is this. You visit the widows and orphans in their affliction. And you remain unstained from the world. In visiting the widows and orphans, you are the widows, talking about the widows indeed, those widows who have nothing. All you can do is take care of them. They need somebody to take care of them because they have no resources. They can't give you anything in return. They can give you a thank you. But you don't get anything from them. Orphans, they don't have anything to offer. Orphans won't even say thank you. Because <laughs> kids haven't learned that yet most of the time. That's called mercy. You see the affliction of somebody and you go and you help them in it. You see that somebody is stuck in the pit. And you just go and help them. And we have this heart of mercy because we have received it from the Father. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Okay, so they kept to the rituals, they kept to the the, the rules and the traditions, but they neglected what Jesus says are the weightier matters of the law, the more important things, the deeper things, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's saying, you know what? Do your traditions. That's fine. You must keep the law of God. But look, there are more important things than the rituals. Justice. Seeing, seeing right done. In this day, back then, it was very easy to pay some people to be a false witness so that you could win your court case against somebody. It was easy. They didn't have all the different methods today of proving somebody's story. They didn't do fingerprints. They didn't do all of these, all these tests and lie detectors or anything like that. It was easy to get away with stuff. People were always offering the judge bribes or anybody who had a manner, a, a, a position of authority. They could get rich off of bribes because everybody wanted to offer one. That's how they could get their way. And these Pharisees were taking bribes. They were doing whatever it took to get their way. And these people were neglecting those things, neglecting justice. And justice is really letting right be done. If somebody's being taken advantage of, you step up and you say something. If somebody is being hurt by another person, you step up and you say something. You intercede. In a way, it's acting out Christ. Christ is the mediator between God and man. And as we take on his Christ-likeness, sometimes we have to mediate between man and man. We are never going to be the mediator between God and man. You can't overstep your bounds. But in seeking justice, you are an intercessor for people who are being taken advantage of, who are losing out because of injustice. And that's a place that the church needs to fill. 
That's a place the church needs to participate. And that's how we spread the truth of God. Because we know that God did that for us. We had no intercessor. There was nobody to plead our case. We had nothing but condemnation ahead of us. But God sent us Jesus to intercede on us, to be our advocate, to stand with us, to to vouch for our righteousness, even though Satan comes against us and says, no, they don't deserve your goodness. They don't deserve your justification. Jesus comes to our side. And we, as we imitate Jesus, because we have savored this, because he has become part of us, we spread him throughout the earth. Then you have mercy, which we've talked about. Then you have faithfulness. Faithfulness. Reliability. You're not somebody who's just going to do what's best for yourself regardless of the situation. You're not going to flip-flop on matters and be unreliable based off of what's good for you. No. You're not out for yourself. You are out for the truth. You are out for what is right. You are out for what is good and necessary. That's really what's packed into faithfulness is that you're not the person who blows around with the wind, a fancy. You are reliable because you want truth. You want what is good and right and just. Because that's what God delights in. Because that's what God has done. It was not good in God's eyes for us all to be condemned, even though we deserved it. So he came out after us with justice in his hands the sword in his hand, riding a white horse, declaring victory for us, even though we could not earn it ourselves. And he wishes for us to go and see good done. We're not supposed to sit in fear of what people might say. When we see good that we can do and should do, we go and do it. We fight for that. And we know that we can rely on each other for it. Because we know that we are all in pursuit of the goodness of God. Therefore, we are reliable. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is our great commandment. Go. The great commandment is not hold a proper church service so that when people come to you, they'll have something to participate in. The commandment is, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now this is very specifically, we need to go and spread. We need to go. You know, just like all this stuff that we talked about in the morning service is packed into the creation account. You know what else is packed in there? Be fruitful and multiply. Spread over all the earth. That was also for our sakes today. The Lord is not content for us to just sit here in our pews and wait for people to come. The commandment is to go and multiply. Go be fruitful. And here Jesus is putting it in these terms. Go into the world, all the world. Proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The gospel that the kingdom of God has come. He's coming. He's here. The kingdom is within you. Here's the gospel. Forgiveness is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We're to go to our neighbors. We're to go to our townsfolk. We're to go to our family. We're to go to those outside of these walls. Because the church is the, the church is the body of Christ. The church is not a club. The church is not, I mean, not that we don't invite people to come to church. Because we can, they, they will hear the gospel because it is preached here. 
and it is a good time for them to come and see the fellowship of the saints. But the primary purpose of the, the church, this church here, this building, is not a place to invite somebody to. This is for us. This church is for us because the church is the body of Christ. We need to go see, make disciples out there so that they can come and be part of our unity. That's the commission of going and spreading. Any questions up to this point? Any comments? Feel free to interject if you'd like. And we must not be selfish with this truth, because 1 John 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. Yay, wonderful. We love the fact that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. So we savor that. But if we savor it too long so that we become stagnant, well, then it is no longer savoring as much as it is selfishness. Because this verse ends by saying, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we really love what we've received, we want to go and bring other people's in. Because he is the propitiation, not just for our sins, he is for our sins. We love that. We get to love that, and we should love that. But not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So we go and tell people what God has given. Guys, people, Jesus has given me forgiveness, and he's got forgiveness for you too. Do you want some? <laughs> Do you want some of this forgiveness that he has stored up for you? That's called common grace. The common grace that is available to all. And we want to share. We want to share that. That's why we go and we spread this truth. And throughout these verses and throughout this conversation, we see that savoring and spreading work hand in hand. When we savor it, then when we go to spread it, it's genuine and sincere. And it looks like Jesus. <laughs> A lot, of us, a lot of Christianity has been trying to spread something that doesn't really look like Jesus. And there's a lot of knowledge out there. Our, our country is saturated with knowledge. The world doesn't need more knowledge. The gospel, the facts of the gospel is out there. People are, the, the society is saturated with it. If people wanted help, they wouldn't have to look hard to go get it. Because it's everywhere. People have been pumping out this material for ages. But we need to give them something that looks like Jesus, not just that looks like a book or a pamphlet or knowledge. We need to give them something that actually looks like Jesus. And we do that, one, carrying the truth in our lips, in our hands, living the truth as we're doing it. We do not rely on words only, but also in the fruits of our lives to give framework for the beauty of the gospel. Because the gospel is aesthetically pleasing. It really is for those who have received the wind to be able to see it, the wind of the Spirit. So to those whom the Spirit has opened their eyes, they see the beauty of it, and that it is pleasing and good. But are you, you, the way you live, the way you interact with people, does it accommodate the aesthetics of the gospel? 
the aesthetics of Jesus Christ himself, the beauty of his nature, are you carrying that with you as you go and seek to spread the truth? This is why we must savor it before, during, and after we are spreading it. Any questions? Comments? Disagreements? <laughs> well, if not, um, let's pray and we can be dismissed. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and I thank you that we have a great and wonderful word of truth that we get to hide deep, deep down in our heart. And it changes us, it transforms us by your Spirit. Pray that we would be ready for this transformation to happen within us if we have not already been so transformed. There is always transformation to be done, Lord, but it is only given to those who are of a humble spirit. Humble us, Lord, before your mercy that has been given to us apart from our own earnings. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.